Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire women. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Good morning, Sky community. Welcome to another episode of Sky Women, the podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share a patient testimonial from a lovely patient who came in and said, I wish I would have seen you sooner. There are no sweeter words to know that you are offering help to someone who is suffering in pain during their pregnancy to help them enjoy their pregnancy, to feel stronger and pain-free in their body is just such a gift. So that's what we offer at Sky Women's Health in Fort Worth, Texas. And we are just so grateful for patients who have trusted us in their journey. All right, today's episode... We have Dr. Megan Gray with us, who is a mom of two, an OB-GYN, and an author of a fabulous book called The Forgotten Trimester, although you'll hear me try to rename it The Fourth and Forgotten Trimester. (laughs) This book uh, addresses all of your needs in the postpartum period and is a great reference point and you can easily purchase it on Amazon. So let's get to the episode. Hi community to today's podcast. I'm so happy to have Megan Gray with us, mom, OB-GYN and author who wrote the fourth and forgotten trimester, navigating self-care after birth. Welcome Dr. Gray. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. Well, this is a really important topic. Fourth trimester is hard. I feel like a lot of times moms are handed their babies and they leave the hospital feeling like, now what? (laughs) You're absolutely right. And there's so much that goes into the fourth trimester, the sleep deprivation, the intrusive thoughts, possibly blues and depression, body image, uh, feeding baby, trying to figure out nursing versus bottle feeding, um, sex, like all of the things rolled into one. And we don't really have a good system in place for supporting these women. So tell us your story and experiencing postpartum for the first time as an OB-GYN who had been practicing and now you're a mom. Yes. So here I am. I've been practicing for somewhere around 10 to 12 years. And I thought I was doing such a great job educating women about the fourth trimester and um, giving them some anticipatory guidance in the hospital right before they go home and congratulating them. Um, And then seeing them back in six weeks for their postpartum visit or a week if they had a C-section. And then I have my own child, uh, that was about four years ago, and I had a C-section and I get home and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. Why didn't my patients ever tell me that this was so hard? Um, I was just 
just stunned by how hard it was. Um, and for the reasons you just suggested, I mean, the complete uh, lack of sleep, the this this um, notion of having to bounce back within six weeks, this idea of, you know, you have to handle it on your own and you can't ask for help and um, breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is so much harder than anybody ever tells you. Um, so I, I thought to myself, wow, if I'm having this much trouble with the fourth trimester and um, the postpartum period, what, what are my patients doing? And why haven't we addressed this? And so um, I really thought I need to do more. Um, I'm not doing enough. And unfortunately, the way the medical system is set up now, um, we don't have a whole lot of leeway as far as support in the fourth trimester. Um, and hopefully that will change one day. And there's a lot of people working on that. But in the immediate uh, future, I was like, well, what can I do right now? And so I decided that I was going to write a little self-help manual. And it was going to, initially it was going to be just for my, my patients. And I was just going to staple a bunch of pieces of paper together that basically how you manage um, your body and the changes after the postpartum period, when to ask for help, what you can manage at home. Um, and then one of my classmates from med school uh, read it and she's like, oh, you know, I help people publish. And so I could help you publish because I think more people need to know about this. And so that's when it started this whole process of um, publishing. And now it's on Amazon and I'm very excited, um, but there's still so much more that um, needs to be done. I, um, I'm on Instagram trying to spread the word and educate women and also really just being there for support. I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, having this, this tribe that we no longer have of, of women that are going through the same thing at the same time and have the same understandings and can support each other. Um, so I've started that and um, I'm also in the process of starting um, some uh, group co coaching sessions to try to help prepare women um, for the postpartum period so that they don't get there and, and, and are as shocked as I was um, right when you get home with a new baby and it's you and your baby and your partner and that's it. <laughs> and when you read all the books, it's overwhelming. <laughs> I know it, it is. And that's, that's the thing I think for, I mean, here I am, I'm in the business. I know what to look for and it's overwhelming. So for women that are not OBGYNs or pediatricians, um, the, the information has to be that much more overwhelming. And I can't imagine trying to weed through that information and trying to decide what information is, is worthy of your time and thought and what information is just totally junk. Um, and as we all know, the internet is full of a lot of junk. So weeding through that information can be very difficult for women. So um, that was the whole idea of all of this is let, let me provide evidence-based medicine for women so that they know that when I'm telling them things that this is, this is what I tell my patients, this is what I did with myself. Um, it's, it's true. It's backed up by literature and by, um, by, uh, evidence, um, and not just fluff. Yes. Yes. Having a reliable source is a great thing. Um, I, 
got your book, uh, The Fourth and Forgotten Trimester, um, off of Amazon myself. And after skimming through it and being like, this is like an afternoon read, right? But an, a yes. great resource for women. So it's easy to read. It's easy to go back to and reference when you're like, what was that about, you know, starting back to exercise? Cause I'm feeling ready. What was that about sex? Because I am not ready. And we're six weeks out. <laughs> right. Right. And that was the whole point. I wanted, I wanted it to be a reference. I didn't want it to be something that you would have to actually sit down and read page by page. I wanted to be like, cause we, you, you know, how busy it is as you have a newborn and you don't have time to sit down and read and read and read. So you just want to be able to flip to a page and say, Oh, this bleeding that I'm having. Oh yeah, it's okay. Or, Oh crap. No, I need to call the doctor now. Um, so that was the whole point. I, it's totally intended to be just a quick reference, um, look something up and then be either reassured or find out, Oh no, I need to contact someone about this. So, um, that's, that was my, my total intention. Awesome. Well, it's serving its purpose. So um, what would you say are your biggest tips uh, for postpartum mamas? So, oh my gosh, there's so many tips, but I would say um, the top couple that I have and the ones that I really harp on in the hospital before women go home is sleep. Um, That's probably my one biggest one because I think people don't realize how important sleep is and how quickly you can get behind on sleep. Um, And it plays into everything, um, decision-making, mood, um, personal interactions, um, reaction time. Um, As physicians, we already know that when you've been up for 24 hours, you're almost legally drunk as far as reaction time is concerned. So if you're doing that, um, on and off for several days, uh, you know, literature shows that if you've been up for 24 hours, it takes about 72 hours to recover. So you know that having a newborn, you're going to be pretty fatigued. So it's very important to find ways to sleep for two to three hours at a time, uninter- uninterrupted. And it may look different for everyone. So it's not a discussion that you have to have with um, your partner, your friends, your family, any of your support people. I call them your postpartum team um, that can help you to accomplish this goal, but it needs to be a priority. And I know everyone hates that whole saying of sleep when the baby sleeps, because I know people make fun of it. Well, you know, fold laundry when the baby folds laundry. I think the, the point of that message is we make such a big deal of baby sleep and, and getting baby on a routine and making sure baby gets enough sleep, but we don't do that for ourselves. So I think coming up with a plan that somewhat coincides with baby's sleep um, or your partner's sleep um, is going to be beneficial for you in the long run. And eventually your baby will sleep. sleep. It just takes some time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I swear, I have, I'm a mom of four, so I know the postpartum period very well. And, um, I swear my second child didn't sleep through the night until he was a year old. Yes. So it can be so challenging when you're in the thick of it and you're right. If you're not getting solid sleep, it affects everything. You feel like a crazy person. You feel like you can't make a decision. Everything is muddy. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like this body experience. Yes. Yes. That's a good way to describe it. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I would say another thing that drives me nuts about 
the postpartum period is this whole like bounce back idea. Um, and it, it's just pervasive in our culture, this idea that um, postpartum is only six weeks because some man at some point decided that six weeks was enough time for women to recover from a vaginal delivery or a C-section um, and then be ready to go back to work and sex and exercise and whatnot. And I would, I would beg to argue that women heal on their own terms and on their own time and not everybody's ready to go back at six weeks to any of those things. Um, and the idea of these expectations to be pre-pregnancy ready by six weeks after delivery is just setting women up for frustration, for failure, uh, for mood disorders. I mean, it's really just, it's a disservice to all women um, asking for that. And so I think we need to change the way we view the postpartum period. It's not a time to quote bounce back. It's really just a time to recover and, and learn, learn new things. Um, and this can take six weeks. It could take six months. It could take a year or four years. Um, so, um, this notion of you're going to look like you did six months or six weeks after delivery, you know, before you were pregnant. It's, it's just, it's just not fair. It's not fair to think it's not. that. No, yeah. 10 months to develop, to grow a human. And now all of a sudden at six weeks, you're just going to bounce back. <laughs> right. It's just, and you just see it so much. You see all of these things, you know, all these things everywhere about bounce back and get your body back and all this stuff. And, and really, I think, you know, we need um, to focus on how, how can we heal a body that's just been running a marathon for the past 10 months? How do we, how do we efficiently and effectively help her heal? And I think it, it takes um, not just the OBGYN or the midwife, it takes, um, you know, a uh, therapist, it takes a pelvic floor therapist, it takes a lactation consultant, um, it takes a personal trainer, it takes a, a, a dietitian. All of those people should be involved in uh, women's health care um, from the time of delivery until at least a year postpartum in my perfect world <laughs> when I become president. <laughs> idea. Yeah. <laughs> postpartum center right. like yes yeah. yes in in my perfect world I would have a postpartum center and all of those all of those things would be available to women as they walk through the door and that would just be a dream come true so what do you think about uh, the American College of OB-GYN is our college that we kind of look to for guidelines and things and their um, statement on optimizing postpartum care? I mean, it's a great, it's, it's the beginning. It's the right. very beginning um, of this whole movement. Um, and it's great that ACOG has recognized that we have not done enough for women in the postpartum period. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that this will start the ball rolling, but it's not enough. I mean, it's just the very beginning of recognizing that, yeah, we, we haven't given postpartum the, um, the, the need, the, the light that it deserves. I mean, there's a lot of 
negative things that can happen in the postpartum period, um, maternal morbidity and mortality. I mean, over half of it occurs um, at delivery or after delivery up to a year after delivery. So we need to start paying more attention. I mean, our, our patients are, are not as young as they used to be 30 years ago, um, are, are not, not necessarily as healthy. And so these complications that arise in the delivery room or af afterwards um, are becoming more commonplace. So I think we need to spend more time and more, more research resources uh, researching all of this information so we have better ways to treat women and take care of women in the fourth trimester. Yes. I agree. I particularly like that they are now recommending that women are seen by weeks postpartum. Yes. Yes. I mean, in, like I said, in my ideal world, we would be seen like the pediatric folks see the babies. We would see women within the first week after delivery and then maybe every other week or every couple of weeks, um, for the co first couple of months. And then once a month until a year out, something similar to that where, where we're really hands-on. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be always OBGYN or midwife seeing the patients or the women. It, it also needs to be a multimodal approach where it's, it's the, you know, um, psychologist or the li licensed mental uh, family therapist and then the pelvic floor physical therapist and the lactation consultant and the dietitian all those people need to be involved along the, along the period of time that we deem postpartum, whether it's six weeks or six months or a year, um, so that women really do get full access to care so that they can um, heal and, and grow and move on to either another baby or the next thing in life. Right, right. It really does take a village and you're, you know, I always say that a baby was born, but a mother was also born, you know, yes. and you're becoming a mom for the first time or a mom of multiples or, you know, this is your fourth baby. <laughs> right. Right. It's and as you know, like even just, uh, you know, each time is so different from the, from the others. So, you know, you, you, I'm sure can say that, even though you've done it four times, it doesn't make it any easier. It might make it even more difficult, even though you know what to expect, you still have two or three other children that you're trying to manage um, and taking care of a newborn. So each, each time brings on different issues um, that may not have been present the first time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dissolve a couple of myths, right? That you talked about bouncing back and like having your postpartum, you know, or your pre-pregnancy body at six weeks. <laughs> yes. So unrealistic. Um, I mean, maybe if you're very on the young end, right? Yes. <laughs> but even, you know, I was 27 with my first child. Okay. And I did bounce back a lot quicker than I anticipated, but it still wasn't even a year before I really felt myself in my body again. Yes. Agree. I, I would totally agree. I would say it's, it takes at least a year, um, before you start to be like, oh yeah, I kind of recognize this now. Yes. Right. Even though I was at my pre-pregnancy weight at six weeks postpartum, the body was not the same. <laughs> was not right. The same. Right. In so many different ways. Yes. I totally agree with you. Like weight is redistributed. The pelvis doesn't feel the same. Your 
brain doesn't feel the same. Yeah, there's so many things that just don't feel the same six weeks out from delivery. Right. And it, and if you're breastfeeding, your breasts are expanding. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so like wanting to be touched or feeling attractive or sexy, like the whole body image goes into your sex appeal and your desire for sex. Right. Not to mention yes. like fear of pain with sex. So how do you counsel women through that? And what do you, what are your thoughts on sex after baby? So, yes. Yeah, so obviously most women come to the office thinking at six weeks, they're going to be quote cleared for sex. And usually um, any kind of vaginal lacerations with the exception of maybe the very large lacerations are pretty healed, well healed by six weeks out. Um, but I usually counsel them and say, this is going to be totally up to you just because you're physically healed from a scar standpoint does not mean that the pelvic floor muscles are completely healed. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're emotionally um, and mentally ready to go back to having um, uh, physical relations. Um, so it is definitely something I say that you have to keep an open line of communication with your partner with. Um, just because, because they're going to come, you're going to come home and they're going to expect, well, it's, it's time. It's been six weeks. Um, but I think having an open conversation about how you feel, what's bothering you, what hurts, what doesn't, um, is the first step. There are other, other things that you can do as far as, um, pain management, um, obviously lots and lots of lubrication. The first, uh, sexual intercourse might be uncomfortable. Um, you can do perineal massage, um, which will help, uh, break down some of that scar tissue. If you had a tear, um, I also suggest, um, quickies are okay. You don't have to have these long drawn out sexual experiences. Um, try to find times during the week where you know that baby might be sleeping or everything else is quiet um, and schedule. You can try to schedule things um, so that um, you actually have time to relax before the episode. Um, spontaneity is a little bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> in the first year or so. So don't feel bad about that. Um, and certainly I say, you know, if you're having pain and it doesn't seem to resolve within the first couple episodes of um, vaginal penetration, that's something that needs to be evaluated. You shouldn't have painful intercourse um, just because you had a vaginal delivery or a C-section. That doesn't, that's not okay. Um, so there's lots of options for management of that, um, but they need it needs to be evaluated further. So don't stay quiet, definitely speak up. Um, you shouldn't be in pain with sex after baby. So how often are you utilizing pelvic floor PT or physical therapy in your practice for? So now I'm using it uh, much more frequent, frequently than I used to, because now I get it. I get it that, um, that women need more help. It, you know, you can liken it to some kind of orthopedic surgery. So let's say a baseball player has rotator cuff surgery. Think of how much physical therapy that guy goes under after the surgery to get him back into playing mode. Well, you just had 40 weeks of 
new onset pressure on these pelvic floor muscles. And then you either pushed a baby out through them or you ended up with a C-section, which is moving around muscles that are, you know, tightly connected to the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and then you're expected to just recover on your own. That just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make that sense. analogy. Yeah. I think that will help it make more sense to a lot of women because the question that I always get whenever I suggest pelvic floor PT is, yeah, but don't they do like internal work and I'm like yeah like you come and see me and I do a pelvic exam (laughs) like yes because those pelvic muscles you know you can't really tell the strength of them unless they are tested internal and it's not like you know the entire pelvic floor PT is you know a vag exam Right. Um, and they do, they do a lot. They can do a lot of stuff without an external or an internal exam. They do a lot of external work as well. Yeah. So it's not just, um, internal pelvic floor work. Um, they do do a lot of external pelvic, um, muscle work as well. So it's, <laughs> but, but exactly what you said, you've already had a pelvic exam. So, um, it's not anything worse than getting a pap smear. No, it's much less uncomfortable, (laughs) you know, and I felt, I mean, even myself being an OBGYN, knowing what I know, I still felt like, am I actually doing a Kegel correctly? I don't know. (laughs) Right. That's right. I mean, you can tell somebody how to do it and you think you might know what you're doing, but until you have somebody down there guiding you, just like any other therapist, you know, physical therapist on any other muscle would be guiding you. You don't know, you don't know for sure. So I really think that they are, um, underutilized in this country. Um, but they should be, and I'm very excited. Actually, my hospital has started this initiative that, um, the pelvic floor physical therapists are now going to be consulted for any patient. And this is in hospital going to be consulted for any patient that had a third or fourth degree laceration or push for three hours or more. So super excited about this. So so these women are going to get pelvic floor physical therapy right off the bat starting. So they get to establish, um, you know, a connection between themselves and the pelvic floor physical therapist that can, that can go beyond just the hospital. So I think that this is a great idea. And I ask them to please extend it to the C-section women too, um, because obviously C-section is major abdominal surgery. um, And those abdominal muscles um, are tightly linked to the pelvic floor. And those women didn't a majority of them either labored for a while or they pushed and ended up with a C-section and not to mention they were also pregnant for 40 weeks. So they have pelvic floor fit issues as well. So I'm, I'm excited about this and I can't wait to see um, the outcomes and what women, um, what women think um, about their recovery with this addition. Yes. You need to do a study with these women. I know, I know, I know. We, sh- we really should. I don't know if, um, if the PT department is maybe doing something, um, but if not, we, we totally do. Yeah. All right, let's talk about exercise after pregnancy because a lot of women, you know, 
in their everyday life prior to pregnancy. They may be an athlete. They may just exercise for fitness sake and getting back to it with a baby and possibly a major surgery or pelvic pain. Um, kind of what are your, what's your take on that? What are your suggestions to women? So I usually tell women if they've had a vaginal delivery, I can, I tell them you can start back slowly, start with walking. Um, you don't necessarily have to wait the full six weeks if you're, especially if you're a, a professional athlete or an athlete that's been exercising throughout the entire pregnancy. You don't necessarily have to wait the full six weeks without doing anything. Um, but I certainly think that you need to water it down significantly, being mindful of the fact that your ligaments are very loose. Um, so your hips, um, your knees and your back are going to be um, a little less stable than they were before pregnancy. And they've been destabilized even more, especially with a vaginal delivery um, that has come through the pelvis and moved those bones around a little bit. Um, so I would definitely suggest um, starting out slowly with walking, running. I would wait um, the six weeks um, usually uh, because those, those, those muscles around the hip joints need time to heal. The ligaments need time to heal. Um, and if you push it too early, you might run into some in injuries. Um, certainly, if you have the capability of getting involved with a personal trainer that is educated in the postpartum period or pregnancy, that would be a great um, addition to your postpartum team so that you're assured that some of these exercises that you're doing are um, are mindful of all of those changes and you're not putting yourself at risk for, um, for injury. Um, as far as weights are concerned, same thing. I mean, you just have to be mindful that you may not be able to lift the same amount of weight that you did even a, a month or two ago. So I would just start out slow and slowly then build yourself up. As far as C-section, I definitely would wait the full six weeks um, and maybe even longer. I can tell you from a personal experience, um, I'm, I was an athlete my entire life. Um, I uh, worked out my entire, both of my pregnancies. And then I thought, because I know better, I don't know why I thought this, but <laughs> because I just thought that I'm a doctor and I can just do this. So I thought I was going to be able to work out right at six weeks and just go back to what I was doing um, prior to pregnancy, like running and, you know, sprinting and lifting weights. And I, oh my gosh, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> um, you know, doctors do make the worst patients, I think. Um, we, I really, I had a tough time, especially with my second, um, with a lot of pelvic pain, especially with running. Um, so I think that, you know, personal trainers, pelvic floor, physical therapists probably should be involved if you have the ability to do that. If not, you're just going to need to start out slowly building up core muscles. So abdomen and back, um, building up the bigger muscles, um, in your body. So your glutes and your quads and your hamstrings. Um, and then you can work on the, the, the speed training, like the running, the sprinting, all that, but, but strengthening the muscles around the bones, um, and the ligaments is helpful to, um, better stabilize the joints that have been stretched out a little bit. Absolutely. I agree. Um, 
Yes, I, I found that with each pregnancy, it felt a little bit harder to, to come back, you know, <laughs> for your own sanity. I feel like even if it's just getting out for a walk, right, it's cheap. You can put the babies in the stroller. You can put some music on and just get a little sunshine, release some endorphins. Maybe the baby falls asleep in the stroller. Maybe you have to stop and change a poopy diaper. It's all okay. It's fine. Yep. Maybe the baby just screams the whole time and people stare at you and look, <laughs> give you funny looks, but that's okay too. I, I did that. I, but to your point, the endorphins thing, I mean, total mood booster, vitamin D, total mood booster. So like you said, even just putting the baby in the stroller and taking a stroll down to the end of the street and back is, um, will make you feel like you've done more than nothing. Um, and so I think that's a great idea, even within the first week or two after delivery, whether it's a vaginal delivery or C-section, just don't power walk, you know, a stroll. Yes. Yeah. I think it's reasonable to start. You can start early, start slow and yeah. back up. Yeah. yeah. Don't expect that. Expect that you'll start around where you left off at the end of pregnancy. <laughs> right. Right. But let's address mom guilt and feeling like you have to do it all. So moms laugh at the idea of sleep when the baby sleeps because they've got a list of things to do, or they've got a toddler or a kindergartner that they've got to pick up, right? They've got all of these things that need to be done. They feel the burden on themselves. What do you say to that? <laughs> I say, ask for help. Um, don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. Don't feel like you have to do it all. I mean, we are in a society right now where we have become so individualized. Um, and it is an expectation of mothers to care for their child, care for their house, do the cooking, do the cleaning and work. Um, and that's just not possible. <laughs> it really just isn't. And it's silly to think that anyone could do that successfully and not burn out. Um, so I think like we've always said, it does truly take a village to raise children. And it's not just the raising child part. It's also mothering um, and taking care of the households and um, being able to do things for yourself. Um, so the only way to accomplish all of that is, is to ask for help. And way back in the day when we did live in villages, that's what happened. Women would um, come together. And when there was one woman in the tribe that had a baby, they would all come together and help that woman. And some societies still do that. And if you go look at like Far East cultures, they still do this whole like 45 days of, of basically you sit and do nothing while everyone does stuff for you. Um, and I, I don't know, I think our culture is just so fast and furious and just, you know, we're, we're so attentive to the bottom line that we forget that, that um, it's hard to, to be a mom. It's hard to recover from a delivery and pregnancy and also do all these other things that are on our task list. Um, so find what I usually suggest to women is to find your postpartum tribe. And that doesn't necessarily mean women that are in the same place as you are, but also your helpers. So your team of helpers, and it may be family members, it may be um, friends that you trust. It could be paid folks. I mean, pay somebody to go get your groceries, pay somebody to come clean your house. Um, 
pay somebody to come watch the baby so you can have an hour to yourself. Um, those are all, all options, but you, you need to, to, to ask. Um, most people will offer help, but it's not necessarily the help you need. Um, so you really have to articulate what you need and what you want. And most people are willing to help if you just ask. Absolutely. Yes. It just starts with the ask. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not shameful. It's not, um, weakness, right. It's not a weakness to ask for help. Right. Right. And that's, it's so hard because it's such an easy trap to fall into this whole idea of this is a weakness. And I, I absolutely fell into that with my first, like I should be able to do all this. Like I, everyone else is doing it. Well, you don't see the behind the scenes of everyone else. Um, so you don't really know if they're doing it and if they are doing it, they're totally crumbling trying to do it. So um, it's not worth that. It's not worth um, being absolutely miserable. If you have people that are willing to help you um, ask for help, if you have the means to pay for people to help, pay for people to help. It's so much better to be sane and be happy than to be absolutely miserable, running yourself ragged, trying to go accomplish everything. Um, it's just not, it's not sustainable. Right. Well, you know, the saying, you know, nobody's happy if mama's not happy. <laughs> That's right. That's totally right. So I was editing a podcast recently and my son heard someone say that my seven-year-old and he's peeking over my shoulder and he goes, boy, that's true. <laughs> you have trained him well. Good job. <laughs> but, I mean, we know if we look at like postpartum depression, right? If we treat the mothers, we improve baby's well-being, right? So, right. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. It does take a village and it is hard when we are in such an individualized society, but, you know, again, just ask, asking for help, whomever that's coming from, whether it's a mom's group, you know, like there's a fit for mom's group here that um, exercises together, right? Then yeah. you have that support, you develop friendships, you know, I'll watch the babies while you do this. You can trade services, right? If you don't have the means to pay for those services. That's right. That, and that's a great point. Trading services. So, you know, I'll watch your baby for a little bit. You watch mine. Um, and I can speak as an introvert. Um, I thought, oh my gosh, um, this, this whole mom's group thing is terrifying, but there's something to be said about getting involved with a group of people that are in the same walk of life, the same spot in life that you're in and going through the same daily struggles. Um, and it really does bring you closer together. And it's just another, it's just another modality, another spot to ask for help. Absolutely. Well, and it's, a, it's really empowering to know that you're not alone in it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, I am delighted that you had the time to come and chat with us today about the fourth and forgotten trimester and appreciate the work that you're doing to help moms navigate self-care after birth. So tell us where um, our audience can find you, Dr. Gray. So um, Amazon is, the book is on Amazon, just if you look up forgotten trimester and then on Instagram, I'm um, forgotten trimester. Okay. And your website is forgotten trimester.com. Yep. 
Yep. So um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram doing a lot of different posts, educational um, and encouragement posts. So um, you'll find me there most of the time. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Episode 12. There you have it. Now you know what happens when two OBGYNs who are passionate about postpartum care get together. If you are in the fourth trimester and you are struggling, please reach out for help. Whether it's your OBGYN, whether you go to Instagram and follow Dr. Gray at the forgotten trimester, whether you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you call Sky Women's Health, reach out for help. There are so many great resources and we can help point you in the right direction. Until next week, be well.